Hello, I'm so pleased you've joined us on Search for Truth. I'm your host, John, and in a moment I'll introduce our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. Today he continues his studies in the New Testament uh, with talk number five in this series of six lessons from the Bible letter of James. Brian's taking a fairly close look at the practical issues that James raises in his letter with the aim that we find practical help in our lives as Christians. We're in James chapter 4 this time, so have your Bible ready because Brian will be reading from this chapter throughout his talk. So let's now go to Brian. Okay, John, as you say, we're turning our sights on James chapter 4, where a sobering scene presents itself. There are no two ways of saying this. Sometimes Christians are a poor testimony. At times they are capable of behaving at least as badly as unbelievers. Addressing a a national seminar of Southern Baptist leaders, George Gallup once said, We find there is very little difference in ethical behaviour between churchgoers and those who are not active religiously. The levels of lying, cheating and stealing are remarkably similar in both groups. A more recent survey by George Gallup Jr. revealed a startling trend in our culture. According to Gallup, the evidence seems to indicate there are no clear behavioural patterns that distinguish Christians from non-Christians in our society. We all seem to be marching to the same drummer, looking to the shifting standards of contemporary culture for the basis of what is acceptable behaviour. In his book entitled I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes that Christianity's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief, he says, without a change in behaviour. And he goes on to say it is revival without reformation. James, it seems, found the same thing early in the history of Christianity – If anything, the behaviours that James challenges those early Christians on were rather more extreme. He begins chapter 4 of his book by saying, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, and so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. There, James ends up speaking to them about humility. 
but he started out by denouncing the hatred which existed between some of them, at least measured by the fact that he spoke of murder being committed. The Lord Jesus had spoken of it being but a short step from anger in the heart to the actual act of murder. But was actual murder literally happening among the community of believers here? It does read as though it was. In fact, the whole range of quarrels, conflicts, fights and waging war is mentioned. Unbridled desires or pleasures, lust and envy were at the root of it. People wanted what other folks had. There was no thought about God's pleasure or what he desired. They either didn't pray or their prayers were self-serving. James, at this point, interestingly, doesn't refer to them as my brothers, his normal trademark, but instead addresses them as you adulteresses. In spiritual terms, they were flirting with the world. This reminds us of what the Apostle John says, doesn't it? That if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. To be a friend of the world, or even to wish to be, makes us an enemy of God. This reminds me of the strong language which the Apostle Paul used against some of the believers at Philippi, where he describes them as being enemies of the cross on account of their appetite for self-gratification. The next thing James says is difficult. The text of the verse as we have it reads a little ambiguously, but overall it seems as if the general reference is to the tendency, witnessed in Scripture, of our own human spirit tending to lust after the things which it doesn't have. This certainly fits with the problem James is dealing with here amongst these believers. But then he comes in with the remedy. After reminding them that God is in opposition against the proud, but gives special grace to those who are humble. He then gives a list of commands. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Mourn and weep. And so humble yourselves before God. James has identified the cause of conflict as being their pursuit of pleasure. He next identified the consequence of conflict as having made themselves, they having made themselves, enemies of God. Finally, he identifies the cure now as a real humbling of themselves before God. As if that wasn't enough, James now urges them to turn from expressing wrong judgments to deliver proper justice. He says, and this is chapter 4 and verse 11, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbour? It seems some of them were murmuring against some of the others. James points out that if we speak badly of someone and so judge them, then because we are doing so by our own standards and not God's, we are effectively replacing God's law. And in that sense, we are assuming the place of the lawgiver, which is God's place alone. Finally, James returns to the theme of pride. 
he warns his brothers to replace boasting with belief. Those who were rich businessmen were boasting in their arrogance about where they would go next to trade and what profits they were going to make. None of this took any account of God and what his will was. They were so absorbed in the bottom line, they failed to register that if they even lived to breathe for another day, then that was by God's grace. Here's what James, in fact, has to say to them in James chapter 4 and verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I'd really like you to notice how James signs off this chapter. He says, James 4 verse 17, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. I wonder if this might not be taken as a kind of summing up of all that we've covered so far with James. He's been telling us various right things to do. Things like asking God for wisdom in trials, treating all church visitors fairly and equally, employing our tongue consistently and eliminating careless talk. Those are right things to do, as are submitting to God's law by avoiding slander, and ensuring we take God's will for us into account in the provision plans that we make. Knowingly failing to do any of these right things would certainly count as sin.
Our hymn choice today is really the words of a prayer, and may God grant its fulfilment in your life and in mine too. Now, if you'd like to have the booklet, which is the transcript of this series of talks, then it's available free of charge, and you can have multiple copies if you're going to use them for group study or to pass on to friends. So just make sure to let us have your postal address so we make sure that uh, we know the booklet's going to arrive and ask for the title Lessons from James. Now there are also back issues of other titles and I'll tell you how to uh, get those in a moment. But first, here's our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN UK. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now you can also, as I said, download audio versions of some past programmes on your computer. You go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Now this is our church website where you can download other helpful material if you want to. And some more past titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon. Uh, you go to amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks and just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find there a growing list of transcript books available. Uh, thanks for uh, being with us today. That's all we have time for. But thank you very much for your company and for your interest in these programmes. Next week is the final study from Chapter 5 of the Letter of James, so make sure you tune in, same time, same place. Until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye, and in the coming week, as always, may God richly bless you. Lord.